はい Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we catch up with one of the newest Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Micah Awe, linebacker, hits hard. What does he think about joining the championship defense of the Blue Bombers? We'll talk to him about that. Also, we'll talk to our friend Murata Tesh of the Athletic as the Winnipeg Jets gear up for a road trip ahead of the trade deadline. And the long road to glory for David Rickert. Started racing go-karts in Gimli, now signing a big contract to race in Europe. His ride and what he thinks of Ryan Newman's crash at the Daytona 500, how he just walked away from hospital today. An incredible recovery story. What does he think of all that? We'll get his thoughts on the podcast. Right now, we are joined by one of the newest members of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, linebacker Micah Awe. Micah, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Where are you right now? I'm in Chicago, which is a lot warmer, ironically, than Manitoba. <laughs> but still not super warm this time of year. No, no, but no negatives yet. Okay, so uh, what are you doing in Chicago? Yeah, my girlfriend, she actually um, she works up here, so it's like my new off-season base, but originally I'm from Texas. Okay, now let's get to why you decided to come to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Explain your rationale and why you decided to join the Grey Cup champs. Well, I mean, it. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened in free agency. I, I know, like, you know, fans see it as this super dramatic thing, and I can guarantee you it's even more dramatic than what y'all see, um, which, like, what goes on with us. And, um, I mean, I don't want to really put everything out there, but long story short, I could have been signed the first within the first hour of free agency, but something happened. So, um <laughs> Uh, long and then you know came all around full circle you know I got a call or a text from Ryan McMaden which is um he's one of the scouts there at Winnipeg and he's the reason why I'm in the CFL because he recruited me um to go to BC and um he just kind of like saw the opportunity and we both kind of like you know the stars aligned because uh, last year I could have went to Winnipeg but the stars didn't align and then this year he just came upon it and I'm lucky to be a part of a team that just won the Grey Cup. So obviously you said you don't want to get into whatever happened in that first hour in free agency, and I respect that. So you didn't, I imagine, anticipate that it would be a week later that you'd be signed. No, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it really is, I need to write a book about it, um, you know, after my playing days, because it's one of those things when they say, you know, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, but boy, was it a journey. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, what ends up happening in your football career is you end up going to the right spot for that year. And um, that's kind of how it came upon. And then, you know, as I'm talking and I'm thinking about Winnipeg, I know I got a couple other offers as well, but, you know, Winnipeg just stood out to me. Um, it, it's a feeling, you know, I often use my instincts on the field and off the field. And my instincts were telling me, you know, this this is the place to go. So I'm I'm glad I'm here. And it doesn't hurt that the team just won the Great Cup. Oh, no, I mean, I guess my instincts, you know, don't really fail on that part. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did that factor into this at all? Um, Yeah, but, it, I mean, it, yeah, because it, it's one of those things where, you know, Toronto, we had, you know, a horrible year. And um, I was telling Ed, like, you know, it's one of those things where, 
after you go four and 14 and you go through what, you know, goes on on the field and off the field as a player, I feel like nothing can, nothing phases me anymore. Um, I'm at the point in my career where, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, what's the best situation for me. But at the same time, I'm thinking about, you know, championships. You know, I want to be a part of a winning team. I want to help a winning team out. And um, I want to be part of the winning team. So it's one of those things where I know there's going to be a lot of competition. But, I mean, competition breeds championships. So that's that's why I'm here. How important was it for you to sign a two-year deal? Yeah, I mean, that just came upon, you know, what, you know, Winnipeg's plan was for me. You know, it's it's just, you know, with all the free agency and, you know, one year, one year, I've already been to two places only in the fourth year of my career. And um, it, it just, it worked out that way because you, it's kind of like a team shows like the value they have in you. You know, the two-year contract is kind of like, hey, like we, we see a future in you. You're not just like alone. So um, that's part of what got me, you know, to sign that two-year but really, mainly, I mean, I've, I've heard so many great things about Winnipeg from afar. I mean, Chandler Fenner and Max Ford, guys who I play with in BC, who actually, you know, they went to Winnipeg and actually aren't there right now, have said, like, incredible things about, you know, um, Coach O'Shea and then the organization. So it's like, man, this place is incredible. I mean, they these guys are on the team and they're still talking it up as if they're on the team. So that that's a big part of why I came as well. How do you think you'll fit into this defense? Um, it's it's gonna be fun. I mean, I just finished watching the Grey Cup, um, watching the defense on, on the Grey Cup game, and I mean, they're they're a great defense. And I think you know, like any defense, like any person, I'm always looking at film. Like, all right, what could I've done here? You know, I'm looking at Big Hill. He made lots of plays, and I'm thinking, man, like, okay, I would have done this. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, wow, he did this really well. And looking guys like, you know, Willie Jefferson and Jeff Coat, the way they pass rush, I mean, it's beautiful out there. So I'm I'm already thinking about my first questions when I see, you know, Willie and J- Jackson and Adam and the rest of the guys out there and saying, you know, kind of like being like, all right, what's your mindset on these kind of plays? Because I think I have a whole another level of playing that, you know, I haven't really reached. How do you think you've grown as a player in your three years in the CFL? Oh man, it's, it's been a journey and it's like, you know, every year, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's been really, it's been really cool because, you know, I came in this league with Coach Wally and um, I'm so glad I had him as the first CFL coach, even though he barely said anything to me until after I made the team, but, you know, it's kind of just like the rite of passage and, um, you know, learning that defense from Coach Washington for those two years and then going to uh, Toronto, learning a defense from Coach Chaim, you know, two guys are incredibly good at, you know, defensive schemes. So now I'm on, you know, the next person, you know, Coach, um, I'm sorry, Coach Hall. And um, I'm I'm excited to see kind of like, all right, I have the athletic ability, but I haven't really, like I said, I, I'm telling you, I haven't reached my full potential. I haven't had really that breakout season where, I'm like well above everyone else. So I think this is the year it's going to happen. How much time have you spent in Winnipeg outside of your visits here playing football? Is that basically it? Um, That's basically it. <laughs> I mean, that just away games and now it's going to be home games. So I'm excited for that. 
Uh, I would just want to get your thoughts on a new playoff proposal. I don't know if you've you've heard much about this, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Wade Miller of the Bombers is one of the spearheads of this. So top two in each division still get a first round by next top four finishers, regardless of division would claim the remaining four berths. So third place, six, three versus or four place five. And then the following day, that's on a Saturday, the following day, the franchise with the best regular season record would pick which opening round winner it wanted to face. What do you think of picking, if you were the first place team, who you get to play in the conference final? Oh, man. You know, I, I heard, <laughs> of course, I've seen this all over Twitter, Instagram. And um, I guess there's kind of like the, the two sides of it, you know, because it's, it's really for the fans. The fans are saying, oh, no, you got to keep the traditions. That's like one side of it. And the other side saying, like, how fun would it be for the person in the first place to choose the, so you know, somewhat weaker opponent and then lose to them. To me, I mean, we're out there to entertain, and um, if if this means more people will watch and we get more people across the world to watch and the league, you know, goes up, then I'm I'm with it. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter to me. But um, it is pretty interesting because once you once you start choosing your own path, you know, there can be either regrets. <laughs> or not right so it's pretty interesting definitely definitely interesting for sure and i i think that this is something that uh, randy ambrosi is going across the country to talk to fans about to see if it'll go in but also the idea that divisions go away in that first round i think might be a, a welcome addition too for the west because most years the west is better than the east yeah i mean that's yeah that's one of those things that ever since i've been in this league Generally, the West has been better than East, although the Great Cups haven't necessarily went that way. But um, I don't know. It's one of those things where <laughs> the only way to know if it if it works out is to try it. And um, you know, I'm a, I'm a you know, even though I'm a football player, like I'm a huge creative guy. I like you know, innovation. So, and I also have a lot of pride in the CFL, and I think it's an incredible game, incredibly entertaining game. And if we can make it even more entertaining and, you know, compete with the best in entertainment, then I say, you know, go with it. Because, you know, the CFL is not necessarily dying in the, in the Canada, but I feel like, you know, people in Chicago need to know about the CFL. I mean, we're right across from Toronto, you know. So it's like I'm all for doing something, taking a risk, taking a chance, and seeing if we can get better. So whatever works. So I'll be out there. And as long as we win the great cup, I'm okay with it. Awesome. Micah, I appreciate your time tonight and we'll talk to you when you get to Winnipeg. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to talk Winnipeg jets now with our friend Murat Atesh of the athletic Murat. I have to ask first though, how is Clyde your foster dog? <laughs> first and foremost, Clyde. Hey, um, he, he's sitting on the couch right now, wagging his tail, and uh, he's had a good track record of being quiet and cheerful during radio hits thus far. So, um, still up for adoption at the Winnipeg Humane Society. He's an absolute gem of a pup. Uh, I wholeheartedly recommend him and the idea of fostering an adoption. There you go. From the man himself, a firsthand recommendation. Uh, let's get to the Jets now and the Winnipeg Jets picking up Dylan DeMello from the Ottawa Senators yesterday for a third round pick. All I've gathered online is positive reaction to this 
by the Winnipeg Jets. Is that how we should view this pickup? Well, really, that is what it looks like. And I mean, until he dresses for the Winnipeg Jets against Ottawa, which is where he was traded from, uh, and begins to develop some chemistry, whether it's with Josh Morrissey or uh, another left-handed defender in Winnipeg's top four, it's too soon to say for sure. But the underlying numbers suggest that here is a guy, when he's on the ice, good things have happened. He's played with two particular partners in Ottawa, Thomas Shabbat on the top pairing from time to time, and Mark Borowiecki as well on the on the second pair. Both do better with him as their partner, um, and that applies to almost every Ottawa senator as well. So he's a guy that keeps the puck out of his own zone. He makes plays up the ice. Not a ton of offense, but he is a guy that should solidify a top four. And when you talk about the other prices, and I, I heard you just mention the Alec Martinez trade and otherwise, uh, Winnipeg paying just a third-round pick for him as a rental is a, is a pretty solid deal in my books as well. Now, we had a lot of negative reaction online when the Jets picked up Neil Pionk. There was a lot of concern about his metrics, which didn't paint a rosy picture. Turns out, I think people overreacted. Pionk's been excellent for Winnipeg. So I guess that's that's a, a lesson in you have to wait and see, right? Well, certainly uh, you got to combine the eye test and, and the analytics as well to have a full-rounded picture of a, of a player. In Dylan DeMello's case, one advantage that we do have is he's been in the NHL for a longer time. So right. you can look at... Um, you know, whether it's just his most recent season with the Ottawa Senators or a three seasons of you that includes some of his time with the San Jose Sharks as well. Um, he has consistently been a plus possession player. Does that mean he's going to come in and be a world beater? No, not necessarily, but he should be able to do some of the little things that help reduce zone time in Winnipeg zone. And, and I think the Jets have been starving for an upgrade on the top four for some time. If he can be on the ice, what he should be on paper, um, that would look like another hit for the Jets. And, and certainly, I know that they did their due diligence with their various networks in terms of who he is as a, as a human being. Um, if you if you scour Twitter and the internet as well, you can find a lot of work that he's done for Movetter, Movember pardon me, and other charitable things. So he should be a welcome addition to the room as well. And it was a very uh, good interview, I thought, on the conference call when he was uh, picked up yesterday. I, I want to just look at the defense in full picture now. What does the top six, the optimal when everyone's healthy, top six look like for the Winnipeg Jets, in your opinion? For me, I think that the biggest question starts with whether it's going to be Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk together, as we've seen recently uh, at times, especially when Tucker Pullman was out, but even for key shifts since then as well. Uh, I think that Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello would be uh, a top pairing or a second pairing, and then the second one would be built around Neil Pionk. And here's where it gets interesting. I think that the Winnipeg Jets will lean more heavily on their veteran presence, and that would be Dmitry Kulikov. Um, though certainly there have been strong auditions from other players like uh, Nathan Bully or, or Lucas Biza when he returns to health. And... I continue to think good things about Sami Niku's future as an NHL player. I just don't think that that's going to be immediate. So I I think that the, the Jets will lean towards the veteran angle. Dmitry Kulikov with Neil Pionk, certainly they've played together a bunch so far this season. Um, and it's not quite a solidified top four. I still think that if Kevin Dayoff can find what he called a hockey trade on his 
conference call yesterday that brings in a defenseman with term. It's not a likelihood. It's not necessarily a guarantee, but it's something that I think is on his radar as well. I don't think that it's a guarantee that the top four of the top six that we're looking at right now are the same exact players we'll see by the end of Monday's trade deadline. What does that mean, a hockey trade? A hockey trade is it's not just a player a team that's right out of the playoff race trading their you know pending unrestricted free agent who's a useful player to a team that's trying to win the cup it's more about uh, a longer term view so uh, the last really good example for winnipeg might be the evander kane trade to buffalo which brought back tyler myers a draft pick that became jack roslovic zach bogosian went the other way as well and ostensibly the point of that trade wasn't just for a playoff run that evander kane was hurt at the time um, it was to try to build something on in both cities for the long run so when i say a hockey trade for kevin shovel day off this year it's a defenseman Unlike Dylan DeMello, who I think Winnipeg will try to extend if the fit is good, but he's an unrestricted free agent this summer, I think a hockey trade for Winnipeg would be a meaningful asset out, whether that's a player like Sammy Niku, a high draft pick, a a useful young uh, budding uh, top six player like Jack Roslovic for a solid top four defenseman with term on his contract, something that would help two teams both going forward into the future. You mentioned Jack Roslovic, the line with, Roslovic, Mason Appleton, and Jansen Harkins, which if he thought in October that was a line for the Jets, he would have said, what happened? They've been, I think, excellent over the last few games. Are they they a potential uh, game-changing line? They're very fast. What do you think of their potential? Well, you know what? I I absolutely have loved the style of play that they've brought to the Jets since they've been put together as a line. I I think that there is a pace to them that you don't see on other lines. There is an aggression to them that you don't see on other lines as well when it comes to the forecheck. And and by that, I mean, instead of rolling one forechecker high and having another winger go all the way back to the Winnipeg Jets blue line uh, in an attempt to get set up in sort of a wing lock neutral zone situation – that Rosovic, Harkins, and Appleton line, they throw everything they have at the puck carrier almost immediately, trap them off to the wall. And they were generating chances off of turnovers uh, last night well before their goal. And even when the offense doesn't involve a puck going into the net, they're generating turnovers and pushing the play up the ice as well. I had no idea that we'd be looking at a line of, of this nature you know, back in October, November. But like you say, so many things have happened. I'm curious to see if they can keep it up because they're all young. They've never put together 82 games of NHL seasons in in, um, in Appleton's and in Harkin's cases as well. But the spark that they're giving the Jets right now, I think it's a demonstration of exactly how the Jets should play with their up-tempo, aggression, uh, shots from the point, turnovers generated because they're forechecking so hard. It's been so fun to watch. I mean, the sample size is obviously real small in terms of what they've done so far. The hope for Jets fans is that they can keep that up for sure and I guess that means what we saw last night Wheeler and Shifley the band is back together (laughs) yeah absolutely and they were happy about it believe you me um, the the press conferences after the game and the scrums each one of them uh, had nice things to say about that Paul Maurice suggested as well that we'll look likely see them uh, united once again against Ottawa and that could be a look that we see down the stretch for the Jets as well. The thing I like about that combination right now is also 
Um, the fact that he, they're being used with Nick Ehlers and throughout last season, especially on just a torrid December that that trio had last year as well, those three were the best combination of the Shifley-Wheeler top line, better than when Kyle Connor was there, better than when Patrick Laine was there, in terms of how they outscored their opposition and how much time they spent in the other team's zone as well. That seems to be the ticket for, for that group. And uh, it leaves Andrew Kopp with some heavy defensive lifting to do between uh, Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine if they do maintain that same top six. For now, it looks like a spark. I'm certain that players like Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, I mean, they talk so fondly of each other on the ice and making each other better in that. I'm sure that they uh, find a sense of relief and inspiration in it as well, heading down the stretch. The Jets have a handful of games left before the trade deadline. Do you get the sense that they're going to make another move? I do. I do. I think that uh, that this is a time of action for Kevin Shovel Day off, and it's it comes with a little bit more risk maybe than the the last couple of seasons where it was so clearly all in. When when Shovel Day off acquired Paul Stastny, Winnipeg had so many of its young stars making their entry level contract money very cheap. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of working room for an absolutely top tier team. Once again, Kevin Sheveldayoff has cap space to work with, and that's a strength for sure. Uh, certainly, he's identified a possible forward addition as well, perhaps deeper in the lineup, and uh, that might reflect on how Mark Letestu and Gabriel Bork have each had, uh, haven't necessarily, Letestu with his health, Bork with his performance, haven't claimed uh, a third or fourth line plus PK job. But I also think that he'll be working the phones on an, a defenseman with term. And now TSN's Frank Saravalli is reporting as well that they're trying to work every last angle out of getting something back for Dustin Bufflin should another mm. team be convinced to part with assets. And I'm not sure what to, to think there. But even for a team like the Jets with just a first, a second, a fourth, and a fifth round draft pick, four out of their seven draft picks, if they can get a sixth for the guy at this point, who's clearly not going to be a Winnipeg Jet uh, again, uh, I, I think there's more action. And Shovel Dayoff put his chips in with, Del- with respect to Dylan DeMello, and I think there's more to come on that front. Yeah, I don't know how much. Who, who's in a position to be in a rush to, to even acquire the contract of Dustin Bufflin? I mean, that doesn't seem like something anybody could really need or think that guess that he's going to come back, but there's no indication that he's going to. Right. And it, it would be a gamble for any acquiring team. As far as I'm aware of right now, um, he's got this year and next left on his contract at this part of the part portion of the year, his cap hit is actually low because cap hits are prorated. A team would only pay for the portion of the season that he was on their roster for. So even if he came back magically and was recovered and rehabbed and healthy and in game shape today, a team would be looking at just $1.85 million or so of cap hit. But next year is the big gamble financially. And the question about whether or not he plays at all, that's going to be what holds teams back from, from spending meaningful assets. And that's why I'm talking about depth picks or something just for the luxury of of trying to convince Dustin Bufflin to suit up for them this summer or, or later. All right, Murat, appreciate your time as always. Give our best to Clyde. <laughs> Sounds so good. Thanks very much. Manitoba-born professional race car driver David Rickert has signed to compete with Inter-Europol competition for the 2020 race season. He'll be driving a Formula Renault 2.0 in the Ultimate Cup Series, a championship featuring events on current and former F1 circuits throughout Europe. Grew up as a farm boy on the prairies, began his pursuit of advancing into the highest levels of Eurosport, 
uh, about 20 years ago. Seeing him grow from racing go-karts in Manitoba to Formula cars in Monaco. And David joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. David, let's just go back to the very start. When was your first ever race? The first race I ever did in my life would have been at 2002 at the Gimli Racetrack Racing Go-Karts. That uh, initiated myself to the world of motorsports. And did you fall in love right away? Well, you know, it... I grew up loving hockey like most other Canadian boys do. Uh, then one day I turned on the television and I saw this Formula One car race on TV. And that sort of inflamed the passion. Then I got to go to Indianapolis to watch these Formula One cars. They used to race through the infield road course there at the Speedway. And I remember being on the upper deck looking down at the cars screaming by. And I just thought it would be way more fun to be down there driving than watching. And so it was that, plus everyone said, ah, from a, a kid from a farm in Manitoba, you're never going to get the chance to do that. I thought, well, let's just go out and give it a shot. And the way that I saw everyone else started was in go-karts. And I found out there was something called the Manitoba Karting Association. They raced on the old runway at the south end of the Gimli uh, Airport. So I signed up and, and had a go. Did you win that race? That one I didn't win. No, I, and here, I got an excuse for that. As a rookie, they make you start at the back of the pack just for safety reasons. Okay. Uh, so I've I finished somewhere in the middle of the field. But the one thing I learned was how unbelievably fast those go karts were. They looked like something that's just cute and innocent, but it really kicked your pants when you got on it and pushed it through the corners. Um, also, just the amount of raw and pure fun it was to uh, to drive a vehicle. And like I said, that was the first time I'd ever driven anything, so uh, it was an awesome experience. How old were you then? I was already eight, no, I was 20 years old already by that time. Okay. So, so I started very late, yeah. very late in life. It's not so like I, you were a 12 year old, you know, going out before school. This was something that you were already an adult. Yeah. It's not like racing is very much like hockey where there's some kid in Brazil or in Europe who's been racing since the time they were four or five years old. They've actually been in a cart driving just like in hockey you're on skates as soon as you can walk. I started at the age of, uh, of 20. So I was definitely behind from that standpoint but uh, I loved it just the same so when you're a 20 year old racing a go-kart in Gimli did you know what you wanted to do with your life at that point no I was I, I was going for my bachelor of commerce honors degree at the University of Manitoba and working on my parents farm you know gathering 9,000 chicken eggs every day so you have a lot of time to think while you're doing that kind of job or riding the lawnmower um, but the passion for racing just kind of, it, it jumped in there. And I thought, well, why, why not at least give it a shot? Like, like, why not me? And so to go to Gimli and just kind of get into the sport when I didn't know anything about cars or mechanics or motors, I really started from ground zero, just from nothing. Um, but then I thought, yeah, why not give it a shot and, and see where it can take me? And all you can do at the end of the day is try. So that's what we did. So now you've signed a deal with the European race team for 2020. Take me through the climb from racing go-karts in 2002 to where you are now in 2020. What kind of steps did you take? Where were you racing? That kind of thing. Yeah, well, so, so that's been a ride. Um, I realized that because I was older, I had to move fast. Uh, I didn't have the luxury of time on my side to ease into things. So I did the go-karting fairly quickly, and within a year and a half, from having never driven anything, but a year and a half later, I found myself driving a formula car doing 250 kilometers an hour. So it was quite a big step to make quickly, but I knew I had to do it that way. Uh, one of the biggest things that you learn throughout the process is that racing is a business first and foremost. 
so I did a test session with a professional race team right when I started. And the team owner said, David, you're one of the fastest guys that we've got out here right now. It'll be awesome to see you drive for us. I said, awesome, great. I'm going to get a chance to drive. But then he said, so we're going to need a quarter of a million dollars for you to be able to do that. And your, your jaw drops and you go, oh, really? And that's when you realize it's not like hockey or football or baseball where, yes, there's money in politics and everything. But if you at least have talent as an athlete, you'll get a shot to succeed. In auto racing, you can be the fastest race car driver in the world. But if you don't have the financial backing to make your way up through the levels, you go absolutely nowhere. So that sort of saw a little shift where I began to focus a lot more on the business side. And, you know, you go home and you complain that life's unfair and I don't have the money. Or you go out and try and put the resources together that you need to make it happen. And I was lucky enough to sign with Volkswagen. Uh, and they sort of gave me the leg up into the world of professional racing at a significantly reduced cost. Um, that built the ground floor of the business side. And that took me from there and sort of vaulted things up towards racing in Europe back in single seater race cars. And in 2016, uh, I was lucky enough to go and race through the streets of Monte Carlo at the uh, Formula One Monaco Grand Prix weekend. And that was just a huge testament to all the people in Winnipeg and Manitoba and throughout this community that really got behind what we were doing and gave me that opportunity to succeed. And explain what you've got planned for 2020. So for 2020, we signed with Inter-Europol Competition, uh, back to Europe, racing mainly in Portugal, Spain, and France. I'm going to try and have an awesome year, get great results on the track, but also have a heck of a lot of fun uh, in doing so. Chatting with David Rickert, Manitoba race car driver here on the CJOB Sports Show. Now you say we, how big is your team? So I show up at a race weekend with just my helmet in my hands and I've already signed on with the team and they look after everything else for me. But when I say it's a team of people, there's literally hundreds of people from this community who've gotten behind what I'm doing in some fashion or another. People, whether it's just with kind words or they help me bring decals that I can put on my race car or they help me pay for some hotel rooms along the way to a community of investors in our business community who really stepped up and partnered with me um, from an investment standpoint to give me the initial financial resources I need to move forward. So there's too many to count, but I feel the team behind me as we uh, move forward. Looking at the the structure of racing, I think most people think of, much like other professional sports, right? We see F1, we see NASCAR, those are what we see on TV, but there are a ton of other levels that people can race at all over the world, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's not, it doesn't have as defined of a tier structure as a sport like hockey would, for example, where you know you go here, 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 and then you wind up in the National Hockey League. In auto racing, there's a massive web of different championships all throughout the world. And then it changes and fluctuates year on year. You know, one championship will go bankrupt and another one takes its place. And you can someone can come out of nowhere and all of a sudden be driving an Indy car or, or a Formula One car. So there's no defined route. It's just a matter of each driver to find their way as the best path to get up to the highest levels of racing. So you you'll, you love racing. Were you ever one to just rip up Highway 8 going way too fast, or were you one when you're actually in a car going the law and driving the speed limit? <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a question that I think through myself sometimes, and it, it's difficult when you're driving on the Autobahn in Europe and you're used to putting your foot to the floor and doing 230 kilometers an hour down the Autobahn, to, for four hours. It, it's great. And to do that at nighttime. But then when you come back here to the Prairie Provinces and you have to drive to Regina down the number one doing 110 kilometers an hour, it's difficult sometimes not to fall asleep. But at the end of the day, whether you're doing 100 or 130 or 140, 
I would rather just go the speed limit and save myself the money because there's no thrill that will replace driving on a racetrack. That's true. Fair enough. I just want to ask you before I let you go, David, just the, I'm sure you saw the crash at Daytona 500 on the weekend with Ryan Newman. When you see something like that happen and you see the fact that today he, he walks out of hospital on his own power, does it ever make you second guess what you do? I've never had that problem of second guessing myself in terms of being hurt. Yes, there's absolutely a risk element to it. When you make a mistake, the consequences can be painful. Uh, in today's day and age, I'm very fortunate that it's something I don't have to deal with on a regular basis simply because the cars are so unbelievably safe, as you could see in this incident at the Daytona 500 earlier in the week. For me, to be completely honest, I'm more concerned about having to pay for the race car after I damage it than what would actually happen to my body in the process. So it's it's a, a weird way of looking at it, but that's what goes through my mind. But I think that that gives us perspective looking at this because we're kind of rational people and we see this and think, oh my God, I could never. But y'all are crazy because you're going this fast and you love doing it that when you see something like this and you see him walk away unscathed, basically, it tells you, hey, it's safe what we're doing. Yeah, it's a phenomenal testament to uh, to the vehicles and the safety of them. It absolutely brings apart its own additional risks, though, because sometimes people like to take more chances and risks, thinking, ah, I'm going to be safe now. But when you see something like this, you realize, yeah, the risks are still there. And one or two inches in either direction, all of a sudden the results can be a lot more tragic. So it was great to see Ryan walk away from something like this. All right, David, I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for being generous with it. If people want to keep track of your progress overseas, is there a, a way they can do so? Yeah, absolutely. Best way to do it is to go to Rickert Racing. That's R-I-C-H-E-R-T racing.com. We'll have all the updates out there. And uh, keep Image Plus laser eye surgery in mind when they're going to get some eye surgery done. That would be awesome. All right. Thank you very much, David. Good luck. Hey, thanks a lot, Christian. Appreciate it. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?